When it got hot in the valley, Thomas and Alfred drove their cows up to a cool green pasture in the mountains to graze. This is a group Usually, of students at the Miguan School in suburban Philadelphia. The school's librarian invited the kids to drop by at lunch to read some scary stories out loud. They're reading from a story called Harold by Alvin Schwartz. The work was easy enough, but oh, it was boring. All day, the two men tended their cows. At night, they went back to the tiny hut where they lived. They ate supper and worked in the garden and went to sleep. It was always the same. Then Thomas had an idea that changed everything. And so they made a scarecrow-like doll and named it after a farmer they disliked, Harold. They tied him to a pole in the garden and sometimes they talked to him for entertainment. When something went wrong, they took it out on him. Then one night, Harold grunted. How could he grunt? Alfred asked. It was just a sack of straw. It's not possible. But Harold does come alive. He trots on the roof of their trailer and acts in a menacing way, scaring the men. On the day they finally leave the mountain pasture, Harold is nowhere to be seen. But when they had gone only a mile or two, they realized they had forgotten to bring the milking stools. They drew straws to see which one could go back. It It was was Thomas. Thomas. I'll I'll catch up up with you, you. he told Alfred. When Alfred came to a rise path, he looked back for Thomas. He didn't see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof of the hut again. As Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry in the sun. It's kind of gross. The kids pass around the illustration of Harold. That's really creepy. Yeah. does not look anything like I imagined. I was imagining like a regular scarecrow not looking as creepy as that. It looks like there's like a spike sticking through his body. I think for like six-year-olds or five-year-olds, if they're not used to this stuff, they definitely, if they saw the picture, they'd definitely be like, wow, that's scary, or like hold on to their blankie or something. But this group of third to sixth graders, they're jaded. Remember when I was little, if I read this, I'd be like, no, no, stop. Yeah, because you know it's not real. Yeah, but now I know it's like, oh, this is fake. <laughs> I'm Lindsay Jacobson, and this is Remember Reading from HarperCollins, a podcast where we talk about classic children's books. And on today's show, we're going to dive into the Scary Stories trilogy by Alvin Schwartz. The books include Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, More Scary Stories, and Scary Stories 3, They came out in the 1980s and early 90s. In the decades since, kids have loved to read the stories. And at least some parents have loved to hate them, sometimes going as far as to try to ban them from schools and libraries. Writer J.A. White will join us to talk about why he loves the books. He says parents who worry about their kids reading them shouldn't. Kids aren't just going to break. If somebody reads something that's too scary, they'll stop reading it. And that's fine. And you know, maybe they have nightmares for a little while, but that's okay too. The kids I know who like you know, the scarier books are kids that might not otherwise be reading books. Also, librarian and writer Betsy Bird will tell us why Schwartz's books are the best of their kind. There's no moral here. There's no, oh, you should have done this or that. It's just sometimes your roommate gets decapitated. It happens. But first, let's start with a scary story super fan. Ned Wells remembers the first time he heard scary stories, more than 30 years ago. I was around seven years old. He was at summer camp. It was dark. A campfire set the perfect eerie mood. 
and one of the counselors pulled out a book. It was scary stories to tell in the dark. It was like a revelation, hearing this really frightening, thrilling tale coming from a book. When Ned got home, he tracked down the book at his local library. He flipped through it, and at the very back, he found something extraordinary. There's sort of a, a long list of where all the, all the scary stories in the books their origins in folklore. The stories in the Scary Stories books are actually retellings of oral folk tales and urban legends. Alvin Schwartz began his career as a journalist, and he took a journalist approach to writing his stories. He read a ton in the genre and interviewed experts. He'd amassed several hundred stories before selecting 20 or 30 for a book. So that long list in the back, it was a bibliography. For Ned, it was also a guide. Which pretty much says, like, if you're into this creepy stuff, these are more books that you might enjoy. And then in the back it says, books that may be of interest to young people are marked with an asterisk. So I was like, obsessed with that list. I wrote down all the titles that look scary, and I went down to the public library and see if they had them. That list was the beginning of a lifelong reading habit for him. Today, Ned is a librarian in Philadelphia. In his personal reading life, his favorite books are still horror fiction. And I guess a lot of that was drawn from that kind of that initial thrill as a child from the stories, thrill of being horrified by the fantastic. Ned says getting horrified by the fantastic was a way to make his imagination soar. Schwartz himself said these kinds of stories were a way to explore the unexplainable, like death, the unknown, and strangeness. Reading them, Ned could do all of that while still feeling safe. After all, he could always just close the book and put it away, which he sometimes did. One of his favorite Schwartz pieces is called The Hearse Song. Don't you laugh as the hearse goes by, for you may be the next to die. They wrap you up in a big white sheet, from your head down to your feet. They put you in a big black box and cover you up with dirt and rocks. All goes well for about a week. Then your coffin begins to leak. The hearse song is also a favorite for author J.A. White. That stands for Jerry Allen White. He also wanted to read from it because it is just so memorable. It's gross and it's fun and it rhymes. The worms crawl in. The worms crawl out. The worms play pinochle on your snout. They eat your eyes. They eat your nose. They eat the jelly between your toes. A big green worm with rolling eyes crawls in your stomach and out your eyes. Your stomach turns a slimy green and pus pours out like whipping cream. You spread it on a slice of bread and that's what you eat when you are dead. <laughs> Jerry is the author of Shadow School, The Thickety, and Night Books. He's also a school teacher and librarian in Northern New Jersey. Jerry says Alvin Schwartz's stories get kids' imaginations working because of the way that he wrote them. They are deceptively simple. You read one of these, and they're only a few pages long, and somebody who who doesn't understand writing as much might think they were easy to write, but they are not. He does not waste a word uh, in the entire book. Everything is chosen just perfectly. Jerry says that allows Schwartz to get to the point right away. Usually... When you read a scary book or you watch a scary movie, there's going to be that stuff in the middle that builds up to the scary parts. But these stories are just the scary part. The thing that you want to do is try to get into the gist or the main concept of the story as quick as possible. 
don't need to worry about characterization. You only need to give just a bare framework of a setting. So it's all just what happens? What is the scary thing? And for Jerry, it's that brevity that actually allows the kids to power up their imaginations. Less is more. We are always more frightened by things that are in our imagination or things that are unknowable. So when you start leaving out details and where um, you know young readers or even old readers start filling in the blanks with their own imagination, uh, that becomes even scarier. It's a trick of knowing exactly how little to tell. But it wasn't just the writing. The Scary Stories books are illustrated by Stephen Gamble. The illustrations are black and white sketches. In places, they have intricate details, then dissolve into splotchy shadows and smudged gloom. They are horrifying. Uh, I mean, I love them. Many of the illustrations portray the main character, sometimes the victim, other times the perpetrator, of some spooky event. Usually they're looking straight at you from the page. Some of the drawings, too, have sort of this sly, dark sense of humor, sort of this, like, gross-out humor that you can see in some of the stories as well. And there's also a playful quality about it. So I just think that tonally they're, they're just a marriage made in heaven. Or the other place, depending on how you want to think about it. The illustrations got Ned's attention, too. Ned Wells. He's the super fan. He says the illustrations were a visceral substitute for that campfire atmosphere when he sat reading the stories at home in a dark room. Instead of having the effect of the person telling you the story and then going like, boo, or whatever, you're sitting there by yourself conjuring up in your imagination whatever's happening. Just like the stories, which left out unnecessary details so your imagination could fill in the blanks, the illustrations hinted at horrors without actually hampering your own vision. Gamal managed to like harness the sort of folkloric feel of a lot of the stories and the gnarled trees and the shadows and the skeletal creatures and all sorts of that stuff and like weave it into this shadowy realm of darkness that as a reader and I don't know, as a kid experiencing a lot of that stuff for the first time, like you're looking at these pictures and it shows you just enough. When the story is over and you're looking at the images, the only limits are your imagination. It's left up to the reader. It's left up to you. If you're a person like, you know, like I was when I was younger, then, you know, that's Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) The images have stuck with Ned so much that he even got several tattoos of the illustrations. He has one from the story The Drum, one from The Hook, another from The White Wolf. A lot of the artwork epitomizes the things I like most about horror literature in the fantastic, you know, that shadowy darkness. Okay, I think this is a great time to tell you that not everybody liked these books. The American Library Association lists Scary Stories as one of the most challenged books since it came out. That means that parents have lobbied to ban them from libraries. And sometimes they succeeded. I mean, here you had a book that was almost tailor-made to make grown-ups uncomfortable. This is Betsy Bird. She's a librarian and an author. She thinks that without the graphic illustrations, the books would not have been challenged nearly as much. It makes you wonder, could they be published today? Like if this just came out in this day and age, in our current publishing climate, could he have come out with these images today? I have no idea, but I'm just glad that they existed at all. An edition of the books with new illustrations came out in 2010, but by then, the zeitgeist had taken hold. This book doesn't have sex in it. It doesn't have drugs. It, the violence isn't usually happening on the 
page, it's usually already happened, or unless you count bugs coming out of someone's skin as violent, which I suppose some people would. So it's just gross. And it's funny that you can challenge something on the basis of this is icky. And I don't want my children to see something icky. But she says that's not a good enough reason to ban a book. You have every right to say what your kids can and cannot read. That is what it is to be a parent, essentially. But when you go around saying what other people's children can and cannot read, that somehow you are the arbitrator of what is good and not good for other people's children, that is where it gets real sketchy. And as a librarian, she takes pride in offering books like this to young readers. The entire point of a library is to offer access to information, access to books, access to ideas that are unlike yours. What's the old line? If you're not offended by something in the library, we're not doing our job. Plus, she adds, kids really should see this kind of stuff. Kids need this book. They need the grossness and something this dark, and they need the weirdness. I'm always trying to stand up for weirdness, but doggone it, kids need really weird books sometimes to expand their little minds. And what could be weirder than this series? What's so cool about Scary Stories, Betsy says, is the books provide that weirdness to the kids without any pretense. There are certain types of books, like a Charlotte's Web or a literary classic or something with a big shiny gold sticker on the front that the adults have deemed worthy. And child, I read this as a as a child, and it, it's good for you, and you should read it, and it'll make you a better human on the whole. And sure, those books really are good. They're great stories. But Betsy says that some kids just really want to read something that's funny and scary. In a weird way, these books respect the child reader. They respect the kid who honestly wants something frightening and is just bone tired of these ghost stories that aren't that scary or that are meaningful or have some deeper understanding or are literary. They just want to be scared. Alvin Schwartz once said that kids love these stories because they are their stories. In an interview, he explained the stories aren't made up by professionals because they come from oral traditions. Quote, they are made by ordinary people, including children who are meeting their needs by creating the stories that they need. Back at the Meek One School, the kids move on to another classic from Scary Stories. It's called The Big Toe. A boy was digging at the edge of the garden when he saw a big toe. And the boy takes it it to his mother. It looks nice and plump, she said. I'll put it in the soup and we'll have it for supper. After dinner, when the boy's lying in bed, he hears a voice calling to him. Where is my toe? It groans. The boy gets up and finds a strange-looking creature inside the chimney. The boy is very scared, but he asks, What you got such big claws for? To scratch up your grave. What do you got such a big mouth for? To swallow you whole. What do you got such sharp teeth for? (laughs) To chomp your bones! I don't understand why if you saw a gigantic toe, you would pick it out of the ground and bring it home for dinner. I know! Like, I would just be really creeped out and, like, run away. This one was more scary than creepy. The kids end up in a discussion about what creepy means versus what's scary. A horror movie might be creepy. But, like, an action movie might be more scary with, like... 
I don't know, axe murders or something. And then they start talking about why we as a society tell these kinds of stories in the first place. The adults of the children would tell the children stories to either tell them not to do something, like warn them, like, if you do this, this will happen. Basically just to, like, get them out of trouble. After it became more of a thing, then people started to do it as almost to seem cool, probably. And over time, humans have just evolved to like it. And sometimes they might even laugh at it. Right before my interview with Jerry, he ran into some third graders in the hallway of his school, about 100 miles from Miguan. You know, we started talking, and eventually they wanted to share some stories with me. And I promise you, I am not making this up. This literally just happened like an hour and a half ago. Two of the stories they shared with me, one of them was the big toe story. I was really surprised to hear this, but maybe I shouldn't have been. The story of the big toe goes back to 19th century Germany. The Grimm brothers had been aware of it. These stories really are timeless. The book is being read and kids are still telling these stories because they're, you know, they're folktales. So they're just going to be told forever. Folktales change depending on who tells them, where, and people's own cultural history. By putting them down on paper, Schwartz was preserving a certain version of each story. For the big toe, he included two endings, likely from different versions he had come across. But Jerry says even in book form, these stories are not stagnant. They're living stories. The kids who read and love them make sure of that. For example, Jerry says the version his students told him was a little different than what's in Schwartz's book. They made it their own. I think that's, in a way, one of the things that's really important about these books is it's preserving uh, some oral history there. Even though they're very enjoyable kids' books, they have a lot of academic importance to it. So I was trying to explain to them the idea that a story could be retold in different ways by different people. And they, they were into it. It was really neat. Jerry has been working in schools for years, but he's also spent just as long writing. He says that's a different way of communicating with kids, but it's all kind of tied up together for him. I've always wanted to write books, and then as I got older, I found out I, I really liked kids. So then I decided I'll work with kids too. So I've, I've never really strayed from the two things that I like doing, which is I like children and I like stories. And he's always especially liked the scary story genre, often reading horror before bed. We just like what we like. You know, as a kid, as long as I can remember, you know, I've liked monsters, uh, I loved horror movies. He's written several books, all scary and mysterious. His most recent book is called Nightbooks. Nightbooks is about a boy named Alex who lives in modern-day Flushing, Queens, and he is uh, kidnapped by a witch. This witch, Natasha, who has um, captured him, really, really likes scary stories. And fortunately, Alex is a young writer of scary stories. The book is structured like Arabian Nights. In that book, a woman must tell stories every night to the king she has married in order to stay alive. The stories she tells are famous folk tales. In night books, Alex has to tell Natasha scary stories every night to amuse her. Jerry says he likes using classic folk tales as inspiration in his own writing. When Jerry was first writing Alex's stories, he was trying to write like a kid, but the stories were pretty long and involved. My awesome, awesome editor, after looking at the first draft, she pointed out that she wanted things that were 
shorter. She said, more like scary stories to tell in the dark. And so his editor sent him a copy. Jerry started editing down his stories to the very basics, just like Alvin Schwartz. I would just keep challenging myself to take more words out, take more words out. If there was a word that I just couldn't defend or a sentence that I was like, do I really need this? The answer was almost always no. And try to get it down just to its basest, simplest form that you can, which is, is sort of like what I learned from scary stories to tell in the dark. Jerry tried to make Alex's stories really scary. In my experience, what scares children the most is, is kind of what scares adults the most, is you take what they know in their everyday life and you use that against them. You, you try to make things as realistic as possible, except for the scary parts. But he wanted kids to still enjoy the stories. Why? Alex's stories could be frightening and it would still be okay for kids is there's this sort of distance between a story that's obviously a story and is obviously being told. There's a storyteller voice. In other words, the kids aren't immersed in the story. They're listening to Alex tell stories side by side with the witch. Jerry says for a lot of kids, scary stories make reading fun for the first time. And if some parents are still hesitant to let their kids read scary stories, he says that not all scary stories are always about the darkness. It's about how these brave, empathetic, intelligent child characters are overcoming that darkness. And I think in order for children to be really invested in these characters and to want to be like these characters, the darkness needs to be legit. Kids can sense when you're being fake and when a book is just like, you know, it's just like a baby book. You have to actually make it scary so you give something really um, legitimate for these characters to overcome. So I'm a big believer in scary stories, but I'm also a big believer in happy endings. At his school, where he works in the library and in his own writing life, Jerry keeps a close eye on what kids are reading. And from his perspective, the big thing on the horizon of KidLit is graphic novels. I think that graphic novels were probably going to come up with different ways to tell stories with graphic novels, because really, a lot of the most successful graphic novels are realistic fiction. You know, they're not what you would normally think, say, a comic book would be with superheroes and things like that. So already it's sort of expanding past the genres that you normally think it would explore. It's become much more serious and literary. But at least for now, Jerry thinks scary stories aren't going anywhere. I've noticed, especially in a library, where maybe if they're in a bookstore, a parent might guide them to something a little different. In a library where they have more free choice. They will go towards the scary stuff and fantasy is huge. So one of the first things I did when I took over our library was I actually, fiction was all one big section. So I made sure there was a horror section and a uh, fantasy section and that's worked out really well. He says fantasy and graphic novels have been the most popular, but horror comes right after that. If you wanna hear one more story, an original from Jerry, it's coming up right after the credits. Trust me, it's a good one. But first, special thanks to J.A. White for joining us. You can find out more about his books at rememberreading.com. Thanks also to librarians Ned Wells and Betsy Bird. By the way, Betsy and her sister host a podcast called Fuse 8 and Kate. They take picture books and discuss whether they should be considered classics or not. 
And so, of course, we asked her if she thinks Scary Stories is a classic. Yes, classic all the way. If you love the podcast, let us know on Twitter at ReadingPod. Or you can head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We read them all, and we also feature them on our newsletter, which, if you're not signed up for that, it's easy. Head over to RememberReading.com, where you can sign up to get episodes, quotes, and trivia delivered to your inbox every month. By the way, Scary Stories has been made into a movie. It's coming out summer 2019. There's also a recently released documentary about it. Remember Reading is produced by Irina Zhorov and Stephanie Marudas of Kuvenda Media. And I'm Lindsay Jacobson. Okay, are you ready? We have one more scary story for you. This is an original one. J.A. White told his students when he first started teaching years ago. I told this to my very first class, this fifth grade class, wonderful group of kids. So my school that I teach at is very old. It's over 100 years old. And I told them that, you know, when I first started working there, I got really interested in the history of the school. So I went to the library across the street and I looked some things up and there's actually like a really creepy thing that happened. And of course, they asked me what? And I was like, oh, no, I can't tell you. It's not really appropriate for kids. Naturally, they kept bugging him about it. And he finally told his class the story on Halloween. It went like this. There was a girl who there was these lockers in this wing on the first floor and she got um, stuck in one of the lockers and people forgot that she was there and she was left over the weekend and she actually died in that locker because it was really hot back then. That's why that particular locker is always empty because it's actually haunted by this girl. Jerry actually found an empty locker in the school. This was an extra locker that nobody was using. But of course, after the story, they all ran to check it out. And I said, the thing is, and this was me using one of the scary stories, one of the most famous ones, is like you can't say her name in a mirror because if you do, what she'll do is she'll write her name in your notebook. And if she does that, that means she's going to come pay you a visit in your house and you don't want that. And they're like, well, what's her name? What's her name? I was like, I, I don't want to tell you. And they're like, well, write it down. And I said, okay. So I made up some bad sounding name. I forget what it was. It was like, Elizabeth Wexall or something. And I wrote it on the chalkboard, let them see it, and I quickly erased it. And then I, this was my, probably my proudest moment as a teacher. After I erased it and I went to the sink and I wet a napkin, a paper towel, and I scrubbed the board. And that was when they all got quiet. They're like, wait, erasing it isn't good enough? You have to wash it off too? It must be real. Months later, one of his students, a girl named Kaylee, found this made-up name written in her notebook. And she screamed in the middle of class. So she went home and she was all scared and everything. Her mom, who was very sweet, called the principal and explained. The principal came and was like, you know, I know you're new, but usually we don't frighten the children. I was like, okay, cool. I'll try to remember that. So I spoke to Kaylee and I found out that it was a boy who had written it and he fessed up. I was like, Kaylee, just so you know, he wrote it. You know, it's it's not real. And her response was, I don't believe you. The idea that she didn't believe you is so powerful. These kids have the ability to like question what adults are saying to them and believe their own thing. Right, of course. And the funny thing is she came back to visit years later when she was in college and she still remembered the story. She still remembered the experience. 